Section 22 of The Adventures of Gerard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. How the Brigadier Bore Himself at Waterloo. The Story of the Nine Prussian Horsemen. Continued. For a moment we each stared at the other. Then I shut the door and locked it again. A crash and a cry came from the other end of the garden. I understood that one of my enemies had come to grief in trying to get over the pigsty. How could I ever get out of this cul-de-sac? It was evident that some of the party had galloped round, while some had followed straight upon my tracks. Had I my sword I might have beaten off the lancer at the door, but to come out now was to be butchered. And yet, if I waited, some of them would certainly follow me on foot over the pigsty, and what could I do then? I must act at once, or I was lost. But it is at such moments that my wits are most active, and my actions most prompt. Still leading my horse, I ran for a hundred yards by the side of the wall, away from the spot where the lancer was watching. There I stopped, and with an effort I tumbled down several of the loose stones from the top of the wall. The instant I had done so I hurried back to the door. As I had expected, he thought I was making a gap for my escape at that point, and I heard the thud of his horse's hoofs as he galloped to cut me off. As I reached the gate I looked back, and I saw a green-coated horseman, whom I knew to be Count Stein, clear the pigsty and gallop furiously with a shout of triumph across the garden. "'Surrender, your majesty, surrender!' he yelled. "'We will give you quarter!' I slipped through the gate, but had no time to lock it on the other side. Stein was at my very heels, and the lancer had already turned his horse. Springing upon my Arab's back, I was off once more with a clear stretch of grassland before me. Stein had to dismount to open the gate, to lead his horse through, and to mount again before he could follow. It was he that I feared, rather than the lancer, whose horse was coarse-bred and weary. I galloped hard for a mile before I ventured to look back, and then Stein was a musket shot from me, and the lancer as much again, while only three of the others were in sight. My nine Prussians were coming down to more manageable numbers, and yet one was too much for an unarmed man. It had surprised me that during this long chase I had seen no fugitives from the army, but I reflected that I was considerably to the west of their line of flight, and that I must edge more towards the east if I wished to join them. Unless I did so, it was probable that my pursuers, even if they could not overtake me themselves, would keep me in view until I was headed off by some of their comrades coming from the north. As I looked to the eastward, I saw far off a line of dust which stretched for miles across the country. This was certainly the main road along which our unhappy army was flying, but I soon had proof that some of our stragglers had wandered into these side-tracks, for I came suddenly upon a horse grazing at the corner of a field, and beside him, with his back against the bank, his master, a French cuirassier, terribly wounded and evidently on the point of death. I sprang down, seized his long heavy sword, and rode on with it. Never shall I forget the poor man's face as he looked at me with his failing sight. He was an old grey-moustached soldier, one of the real fanatics, and to him this last vision of his emperor was like a revelation from on high. Astonishment, love, pride, all shone in his pallid face. He said something. I fear they were his last words. 
but I had no time to listen, and I galloped on my way. All this time I had been on the meadowland, which was intersected in this part by broad ditches. Some of them could not have been less than from fourteen to fifteen feet, and my heart was in my mouth as I went at each of them, for a slip would have been my ruin. But whoever selected the Emperor's horses had done his work well. The creature, save when it balked on the bank of the Sambre, never failed me for an instant. We cleared everything in one stride, and yet we could not shake off those infernal Prussians. As I left each watercourse behind me, I looked back with renewed hope, but it was only to see Stein on his white-legged chestnut flying over it as lightly as I had done myself. He was my enemy, but I honoured him for the way in which he carried himself that day. Again and again I measured the distance which separated him from the next horseman. I had the idea that I might turn and cut him down, as I had the hussar, before his comrade could come to his help but the others had closed up and were not far behind. I reflected that this Stein was probably as fine a swordsman as he was a rider, and that it might take me some little time to get the better of him. In that case the others would come to his aid, and I should be lost. On the whole it was wiser to continue my flight. A road with poplars on either side ran across the plain from east to west. It would lead me toward that long line of dust which marked the French retreat. I wheeled my horse, therefore, and galloped down it. As I rode I saw a single house in front of me upon the right, with a great bush hung over the door to mark it as an inn. Outside there were several peasants, but for them I cared nothing. What frightened me was to see the gleam of a red coat which showed that there were British in the place. However, I could not turn and I could not stop so that there was nothing for it but to gallop on and to take my chance. There were no troops in sight, so these men must be stragglers or marauders, from whom I had little to fear. As I approached I saw that there were two of them sitting drinking on a bench outside the inn door. I saw them stagger to their feet, and it was evident that they were both very drunk. One stood swaying in the middle of the road. "'It's bony! So help me, it's bony!' he yelled. He ran with his hands out to catch me, but luckily for himself his drunken feet stumbled, and he fell on his face on the road. The other was more dangerous. He had rushed into the inn, and just as I passed I saw him run out with his musket in his hand. He dropped upon one knee, and I stooped forward over my horse's neck. A single shot from a Prussian or an Austrian is a small matter, but the British were at that time the best shots in Europe and my drunkard seemed steady enough when he had a gun at his shoulder. I heard the crack, and my horse gave a convulsive spring which would have unseated many a rider. For an instant I thought he was killed, but when I turned in my saddle I saw a stream of blood running down the off-hind quarter. I looked back at the Englishman, and the brute had bitten the end off another cartridge and was ramming it into his musket, but before he had it primed we were beyond his range. These men were foot-soldiers, and could not join in the chase, but I heard them whooping and tally-hoeing behind me, as if I had been a fox. The peasants also shouted, and ran through the fields, flourishing their sticks. From all sides I heard cries, and everywhere were the rushing, waving figures of my pursuers. To think of the great emperor being chivered over the countryside in this fashion! It made me long to have those rascals within the sweep of my sword.'
but now I felt that I was nearing the end of my course. I had done all that a man could be expected to do. Some would say more, but at last I had come to a point from which I could see no escape. The horses of my pursuers were exhausted, but mine was exhausted and wounded also. It was losing blood fast, and we left a red trail upon the white, dusty road. Already his pace was slackening, as sooner or later he must drop under me. I looked back, and there were the five inevitable Prussians, Stein a hundred yards in front, then a lancer, and then three others riding together. Stein had drawn his sword, and he waved it at me. For my own part, I was determined not to give myself up. I would try how many of these Prussians I could take with me into the other world. At this supreme moment all the great deeds of my life rose in a vision before me, and I felt that this, my last exploit, was indeed a worthy close to such a career. My death would be a fatal blow to those who loved me, to my dear mother, to my hussars, to others who shall be nameless. But all of them had my honour and my fame at heart, and I felt that their grief would be tinged with pride when they learned how I had ridden and how I had fought upon this last day. Therefore I hardened my heart, and as my Arab limped more and more upon his wounded leg, I drew the great sword which I had taken from the cuirassier, and I set my teeth for my supreme struggle. My hand was in the very act of tightening the bridle, for I feared that if I delayed longer I might find myself on foot fighting against five mounted men. At that instant my eye fell upon something which brought hope to my heart and a shout of joy to my lips. From a grove of trees in front of me there projected the steeple of a village church. But there could not be two steeples like that, for the corner of it had crumbled away or been struck by lightning, so that it was of a most fantastic shape. I had seen it only two days before, and it was the church of the village of Gosselet. It was not the hope of reaching the village which set my heart singing with joy, but it was that I knew my ground now, and that farmhouse not half a mile ahead, with its gable end sticking out from amid the trees, must be that very farm of St. Arnais, where we had bivouacked, and which I had named to Captain Sabatier as the rendezvous of the Hussars of Conflans. There they were, my little rascals, if I could but reach them. With every bound my horse grew weaker. Each instant the sound of the pursuit grew louder. I heard a gust of crackling German oaths at my very heels. A pistol bullet sighed in my ears. Spurring frantically and beating my poor Arab with the flat of my sword, I kept him at the top of his speed. The open gate of the farmyard lay before me. I saw the twinkle of steel within. Stein's horse's head was within ten yards of me as I thundered through. "'To me, comrades, to me!' I yelled. I heard a buzz as when the angry bees swarmed from their nest. Then my splendid white Arab fell dead under me, and I was hurled onto the cobblestones of the yard, where I can remember no more. Such was my last and most famous exploit, my dear friends, a story which ran through Europe and has made the name of Etienne Gerard famous in history. Alas that all my efforts could only give the Emperor a few weeks more liberty, since he surrendered upon the 15th of July to the English. But it was not my fault that he was not able to collect the forces still waiting for him in France, and to fight another Waterloo with a happier ending. Had others been as loyal as I was, 
the history of the world might have been changed. The emperor would have preserved his throne, and such a soldier as I would not have been left to spend his life in planting cabbages, or to while away his old age telling stories in the café. You ask me about the fate of Stein and the Prussian horsemen? Of the three who dropped upon the way? I know nothing. One you will remember that I killed. There remained five, three of whom were cut down by my hussars, who, for the instant, were under the impression that it was indeed the Emperor whom they were defending. Stein was taken, slightly wounded, and so was one of the Uhlans. The truth was not told to them, for we thought it best that no news, or false news, should get about as to where the Emperor was, so that Count Stein still believed that he was within a few yards of making that tremendous capture. "'You may well love and honour your Emperor,' said he, "'for such a horseman and such a swordsman I have never seen.' He could not understand why the young Colonel of Hussars laughed so heartily at his words, but he has learned since." End of section 22. An end of how the brigadier bore himself at Waterloo. The story of the nine Prussian horsemen.